Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman. Here with my friend, Chavruta Ankord, and our daf today, Masachat Shkalim, daf Yud Aleph, page 11. So I'm going to go back to something that we mentioned in the Mishnah yesterday, which was about this special ramp that would be built with the leftover money from the uh, Shkalim for the Paraduma. And Abba Shaul had an opinion that actually that money was not, that ramp, was not built from money from the Shkalim, but each uh, or Kohen Gadol would sort of pay for it themselves. And the Gemara says as follows, I'm a Rabbi Hanina. Rabbi Hanina says, It was sort of a, uh, some of the English here says a pomposity. You know, it was a little bit of a pompous act or an arrogant act for, act for the Kohanim Gadolim. That they would spend more than 60 gold talents on this ramp's construction. For the ramp of the other, the preceding paraduma, meaning the previous paraduma, would still be standing. But they wouldn't want to use the ramp that was used previously. And so the next going Gadol would say, no, I want to build my own ramp. So therefore they would demolish the prior Kohen Gadol's ramp and then they would build their own ramp, right? So at least they were doing that out of their own money. Um, but the idea is that they spent all of this money, a tremendous amount of money, and sort of not want to use uh, their predecessor's uh, ramp that was built. The Gemara doesn't like this idea, though, that the Kohen Gadol could actually be sort of pompous in this way. And they bring the following refutation to this. So Rabbi Ula uh, refutes this before Rabbi Man and the following name, right? We learned in a brisa. Shimon Atzadik had two para adumas, basically, while he was the and he did not use the second para aduma, basically, didn't use the ramp of the first para aduma. Is it possible that you're going to say that Shimon Atzadik was pompous? Makedon, right? What's the reason why they built this new ramp, basically? Because it really was a way of sort of, uh, you know, setting a high standard uh, to make sure that the purity of the paraduma was kept. And also to show some honor for sort of this mitzvah of the, uh, of the paraduma. So I thought that this was interesting because the example that they're using in particular is by examining the behavior of Shimon Atzadik. So I just wanted to do, we have not done a who's who in a long time. And I wanted to spend a little time talking about who. Hey, hey, I just did a who's who. When you did... haven't done a who's who. I didn't do a who's who. You're right. Sorry, you did. Okay. I take that back. I did not do a who's who in a while. Um, so I, I, I apologize, Anne, publicly about that. But I wanted to just mention who Shimon Atzadik was. So Shimon Atzadik is mentioned in the... Um, Second mission of Perkei Avos. Um, he's considered to be Misha'arei, you know, Knesset Hagdola. He's from that time period of Anche Knesset Hagdola. Um, and he was a, basically, he was a Kohen Gadol during the sen- Second Temple period. Um, and uh, he, and that's the Mishnah that he has. So he's really pre-Tanaitic, basically. Um, and there, we're not totally sure of his dates. He either lives like three... 10, you know, to 273 BC or 219 to 199 BC, depending on exactly where you put him. But the thing about him 
that's really important is, is that he was a Kohen Gadol for 40 years and there were still miracles that took place in the, um, in, in the Beit HaMikdash when he was there. He's also uh, lived this time period sort of of Hashmonaim and the Hellenists, which was a complicated uh, period of time. There's also a very famous story about him that he met Alexander the Great. Um, so everyone should know that story. That's a very famous Gemara that takes place in Masachat Yoma. Um, so, but he has sort of this piece to him that he really was considered, he's called Shemanat. And so it's interesting to see that Ula sort of brings a proof by saying, well, we have an example of, of one of the most holiest Kohen Gadol's who he himself actually built two ramps. And so therefore it can't be that this was actually a, you know, arrogant act to do. This really was a way of showing how important uh, this mitzvah of para aduma was. Um, but again, you wouldn't totally understand it unless you really understood who exactly Shimon Atzadik was when he lived and, and his importance. So I encourage everybody to spend a little bit of time Googling Shimon Atzadik and look up a little bit more about him. There's some wonderful, wonderful stories about him in the Gemara itself. Um, and, uh, you know, was just a, a nice little explanation here for this idea of the Kohen Gadol. Uh, they still don't deal with the fact that the Kohen Gadol sort of spent all of this money, um, if it is according to the way, you know, what, what Rabbi Hanina says. But it's certainly, we conclude at least at the end, that it really was done um, as a way um, uh, to, to sort of enhance the mitzvah itself. And then the Gemara there just concludes, Tani was also taught in Abraisa, Beams and walls were extended on the side of each ramp so that you basically couldn't see the view um, from the ramp. So that the Kohanim who were leading the Paraduma wouldn't lean over and see something that potentially could make them tummy. In other words, ignorance is basically bliss. And we, you know, we sort of wanted to block out any possibility that they could become Tame. So they constructed this ramp in a way that they sort of could just walk and see what was in front of them on the ramp, but not anything that was on the side. So there would be no question of them sort of becoming Tame, because if you can't see it, you obviously are not going to be Tame. I love the story of Shimon Tzadik. I think in part because when I was a kid, I had some book that had it as a, an introduction to the whole I guess the story of Hanukkah, right? Um, I want to move on to the next Mishnah, which is the next Halacha, right, on the Yerushalmi. And what we're talking about is that we're going back to this discussion, which we've seen throughout these Mishnayot, of what do you do with the leftovers? What do you do with the overflow when you have more than what you need of whatever it is that you're using? So in this case, we're going to be talking about the Ketoret, the incense that was, um, well, it was going to be used in the Beit HaMikdash, except for what happens when you have leftover incense. So the basic premise is that it's going to be dealt with in the same way that if you had any leftover animals that were supposed to be designated or that had been designated as daily offerings, but you have too many. So what are you supposed to do? So the bottom line is that when Nissan comes along, what they do is they kind of, they transfer the Kedusha of these, whatever, whether it's animals or incense or whatever, onto money. And then that money, right, that was supposed to be used to pay the artisans who worked in the Beit HaMikdash, so then that money is used to to do all this fixing, right? And then what they do is the artisans themselves would take the leftover incense as their wages. So it says, and then the then the treasury, right, the lishka, would buy back the incense from the artisans with those funds, which have the Kedusha on them. And now the incense has been like un 
right? The word that I've seen in English is desacralized, which is probably as uncommon, unfamiliar a word as my made up one, right? Meaning basically the idea is that it's removing the Kedusha from the item by transferring it onto something else and using that same money to buy the money that has the Kedusha on it to buy it. And then kind of the, the I don't know, it's like some property of, of sanctity, right? By using sanctified money to buy the item, then it kind of removes that sanctity. Um, if I've understood this correctly. Um, I'm going to now read the Mishnah, and hopefully this will also, the details will fall into place. Motar HaKetorah, right, that's any leftover Ketorah, any leftover incense. What do they do with it? They would, they would take off of it. They would, they would, yeah, they would designate off of it, I guess. The, the wages of the artisans, of the art, of the craftspeople, and they would desanctify it, desecrate it, but it, it doesn't mean desecrate it in a bad way, right? Um, onto the, the money, the actual coins of the umanim, of the artisans. And then they would give it to them as their wages. They would then they would come back and they would take it again from a new donation, whatever it is that they would they would buy it back from the new collection of the shekels. And so then if the new funds would arrive on time, meaning all of the things that were collected by Machatita Shekel, and they have to arrive by the beginning of Nisan, then they could buy the new, they could buy the incense, that same incense, they could buy it from the new money. And use it again, so just or not again. I Meaning, use it instead because it had been left over. But in, it's kind of re. Well, it wasn't used, right? So it's saying, okay, we could buy it again. We could use it again for the new year. And if not, then they could still always purchase that kind of incense from the old, from what they had, and that would be considered valid. Now, there's a piece here that is, I think, a little bit confusing, and I would like to see it played out with, you know, person A and person B, and I think then it would become very clear as soon as we would see who's playing which part in terms of this purchase and what's what's being um, left aside, uh, not left aside, but what's being used to make the purchase and what is being desacralized so that it is, um, so that that's what happened. Meaning at the end of the day, confusion or no confusion, at the end of the day, the incense, the leftover incense is, be, is able to be used in a non- um, consecrated way um and the real question that i have in terms of the procedure is the transfer of kedusha how they would get it off now anybody who's done any um trumata maestro in israel where you specifically on the master shani year where you would um transfer the kedusha onto a coin right as opposed to and you know as a point as opposed to Anything else, right? Meaning the whole idea of master of taking Truman and Maestrot means that now you have a Kedusha, but there's no Kohanim functioning to be able to hand it off to them. So you have to transfer that Kedusha onto a coin. And then the question is, what do you do with that coin? And basically the idea is that after a certain amount of you've filled up the coin, so to speak, with the Kedusha, and then you destroy the coin in a way that can it can never be used as legal tender. You know, some people would put it on a train track, except for we don't so much have a train track near us. Um, that function. But the idea is, again, that the coin will not be used. So in this case, it seems that you can then reuse it 
whence there's new funds to buy it again. Okay, so the Gemara goes, comes to explain some portion of this. Right, the whole question is, you know, aren't we finding, and this is the part that I find a little bit confusing, aren't we finding this to be consecrated property becoming unconsecrated using consecrated property? Meaning the artisans are paid with money from the Lishka, from the temple treasury, and that's consecrated, but the consecrated property can be unconsecrated only by transferring that Kedusha onto the unconsecrated property. So this is where the the circle of it, the cycle of it, um, is a little bit mind-boggling, I find. Um, although, again, I think that if we could put it together in colors or different parties or something like that, it would become clearer, you know, like there before our eyes. Okay, and I'm sure it worked very well for them, right? So what happens is that uh, the, what, the incense is desacralized. How does that work? This money itself has been unconsecrated, right? You take the Kedusha off the money, and then you can, you can unconsecrate the incense, which is the way I understand it, and I hope it's the way I explained it, right, in terms of what this specific procedure in terms of the, the artisans, the craftspeople, getting the money. So the treasurer is the one to do this, right? Rabbi Shim Barbisna says he takes the money from the Lishka. He, he takes the Kedusha off of it onto the building that they've already made, which they've made, but it hasn't yet been sanctified, which is an interesting procedure to begin with. And then he brings that incense and he... Uh, removes the kedusha from it by putting that kedusha onto the money, and then the treasurers give the incense to the artisans as their wages, and then they again buy back the incense with the funds. So the people go home, the crafts people go home with money, and the temple has, as it were, new incense, right, which they can then sanctify again. Otan hamaot seben. But so then that money that was used to de- to to remove the kedusha from the incense, which is now consecrated to see that had been had been consecrated, what do we do with it? Rabbi Omer, Omer Ani in a new Levet Garmu, Levet Avitnus, Avtinas. It should be given to the house of Garmu and to the house of Avtinas, because these are the people who are experts. They were the people who really were experts in making the Torah, making the incense, and making the Lechem Apanim, the, the bread, the Chalot that were always in the Beit Hamikdash. I'm Rabbi Yishmuel Bar Rav Yitzchak. So Rav Shmuel Bar Rav Yitzchak says as follows, that was true when the Lishka owes the money from work that they'd already done, right? But you can't do that for money that if they're paying them for advance, an advance payment for work they're going to be doing, which is, you know, going to come, let's say, in the month of Nisan. And so then that has to come from the new Machatzit uh, shekel, from the new collection. Which is again, your Dana, you made this point, I think, yesterday that there's a, a very careful accounting of every iota of the of the funds to make sure that it's you know treated properly. Here's an added element of treating it properly because we're talking about funds that have been consecrated. And then just lastly, here Rabbi Chia Bar Barba, by he asks, uh, but hang on, didn't the Lishka owe them money from work that was done previously? Meaning, if they had, if the Lishka had owned them, owed the money, then what did they do with that money, right? Why didn't they pay them? What's going on? 
אתה רבי בא בשם רבי חייא, בשם רבי יוסי, מקייצין בהן את המזבח. Because what would they do? The treasury would use that money to buy the offerings with, with which they would then, you know, fill the altar, the mizbeach. And Rabbi Chia Barba accepts this answer, although the rest of the Gemara really goes on to discuss whether, you know, what, whether it's a good answer and what the different possibilities may be. At this point, though, I think we've got a handle, at least on the, the real issue, which is when you've got leftover, you have to treat it. When you have leftover of something that has already been consecrated, you have to treat it with Kedusha. And the only way to use it in any way that isn't the consecrated way that it was originally destined for, you have to take that Kedusha off of it. After that, you can use right, it in any number of ways. Right, but it's interesting to see, you know, what elements of Hegdish pro- you know, items, I would say, in the Beit HaMikdash, we say, like, no, it's Hegdish forever. You know, when we saw a lot of examples of animals that sort of just have to graze out to die. But here with the incense and some of the other items, you know, you get a sense they don't want to be wasteful with it. And they sort of came up with a very clever way to allow it to continue to be used. Right, right. I mean, I think that's a part of it, right? There's no, there's no interest in wasting. No, anything. even though we do see with some of the animals that can happen. But, you know, here that seems to not be the approach. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hodge website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP and our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.